Welcome and thanks for listening to the Garden City Chapel Podcast. Today we continue in a sermon series on Romans by Pastor Robert Shaw. For a complete list of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. I should open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. And Jenny, thanks so much for that song. I know you don't know, didn't know what I was preaching on, but uh, what a song goes so well with the message, which that's just a God thing. There was a line in the song that said something along the lines of, you've held back what I deserve. I want you to keep that in mind about halfway through the message because that's part of the point of the, of the message this morning. The Apostle Paul, in, in chapters 1, 2, and even half of chapter 3, has been making a case that we're all sinners. He's writing to the church at Rome, and he's speaking specifically to Jews, but also to Gentiles. And Paul, uh, among anybody, keep in mind who Paul was. Paul was the man whose name was Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, who was a Jew among Jews. And so he, of all people, knew what it was to be a Jew, but of all people also could speak the truth into the Jewish faith and into their life. This morning really kind of takes us into a courtroom setting. I don't know when the last time you were in a courtroom was. I suppose the last time for me was when I was on the jury. And uh, I was nervous. And to make matters worse, they appointed me foreman of the jury. I think when they found out I was a preacher, they thought, that's him. Plus, I just held the doors for the ladies coming and going, and so they thought, well, he's a nice guy. Make him the foreman. And I'm used to standing up and speaking in front of people, but when I had to render the verdict or when I had to tell the, the verdict, my knees were knocking. I was shaking. It's the most nervous I've ever been in front of a group of people. Because before us, we had a young man that was accused of a crime that we ultimately acquitted him of. And i got to tell you, Two days of testimony, the man was not innocent. But he wasn't guilty of what he was being charged for. And I won't go into all the details of that, but there's a huge difference between being innocent and being pronounced not guilty. Big difference. Because you could be guilty of something, there just wasn't enough evidence to convict you, or the jury didn't hear all the evidence because it was excluded from the courtroom. But the title of today's message is this, Pronounced Innocent. And I want you to see today the difference between what God has pronounced over you is that you are, in Christ, innocent. Let me read just the first few verses to get us started as we look at the fact that we're helpless through the law. Verses 19 and 20. Now, we know that whatever the law says... It speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. As I have approached this passage this week, I've just been filled with the awe of the responsibility that we need to understand and get this passage. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Martin Luther called this passage the chief point, the very central place of the epistle of Romans and of the whole Bible. Okay, does that put pressure on you? 
Martin Luther said it's the most important passage in the whole Bible. And I'm supposed to preach that this morning. John Calvin declared that there's not probably in the whole Bible a passage which sets forth more profoundly the righteousness of God in Christ. Another person went on to say, if you don't get this passage, you won't get the book of Romans. And you really won't get and understand the gospel. So, no pressure. I'm going to do my best to unpack it for you this morning. You might want to study some on your own. But the first thing that Paul wanted them to know is, you are helpless, we are helpless through the law. In fact, I love the way he starts verse 19. Now, we know. What Paul is basically saying is, this should be common knowledge. You should just know this. And if they didn't know it instinctively, they should have known it after two and a half chapters of him making the point that they are helpless under the law. In fact, he says, as the law speaks to those who are under the law, it shuts all of our mouths. We all become speechless. Why? Because, folks, he's already told us we're without excuse. A couple of times in chapter 2, you're without excuse. Anybody who's tried to keep the law, and he's speaking specifically to Jews here, you've tried to keep the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but like the 600 other laws outlined in the Old Testament. None of you are going to stand in front of God and say, I did it. I kept all the law. Because if you do, you just broke one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. It is impossible to keep the law. But if you believe the law is the means to righteousness, in other words, by keeping of the law is how you're going to be in God's good graces, then what do you do? You just try harder. I'm doing the best I can, God. Please forgive me. I'll try harder. And days like Yom Kippur comes, the Day of Atonement, you confess your sins, you're forgiven. You kind of walk out feeling like, okay, i got a clean slate. How long can you keep the cover on the clean slate? I promise you by next year, Yom Kippur, you got more sin. And Paul says, what the law did was to shut up every excuse. It, it reminds me of the commercial. You've seen it. Two, two commercials that are playing right now. One's the guy goes to the cell phone store and asks a million questions. And then he's face-to-face with his doctor. And the doctor says, got any questions? He's like, "Um, no. (laughs) And the point of the commercial is, ask your doctor questions. The other one is the the lady that is ordering in the restaurant. She asks everything she can about the menu item she's interested in, how it was cooked, where it came from, everything. Gets to the doctor. What is it about doctors that we just clam up? My doctor's in the crowd today. Doc, what is it? Why do people just clam up? They don't ask questions. They're just like, you got any questions? No. Well, that's what Paul says about people that have been keeping the law, that you are without excuse. You know you're guilty. You're not going to face God and say, I kept it. Or I did my best anyway. Are you grading on the curve? It's not going to work. It's really better than that. It's not that he takes your, your 60 and makes it an 85 so that you can graduate. It's really better than that. Because, all, and listen to this, all the world is accountable to him. What the law pointed out is all the world. Who's included in all? 
not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, us, the non-Jews. The word that he uses there is the word ethnos. It simply means race. It simply means everybody else, everybody else in the world. No flesh, listen to this, no flesh is justified. The law required perfect obedience, and nobody other than Jesus lived a perfect life. No flesh is justified through the law, and through the law we have come to a knowledge of sin. Well, folks, if you get that, now some of you are going to leave, some of you leave messages on Sunday, and your attitude is, well, I feel convicted. God's kind of, you know, you, you tell the pastor at the back door, you really stepped on my toes today. Of course, the pastor said, I wasn't aiming at your toes, I was aiming at your heart. But in any case, feel like God really got your attention today. If you leave and say, I'll try harder, then what you're doing is saying, I'm going to live under the law. In fact, why is it as humans we're more comfortable with just give me 12 things that I can check off every day that I did this? Well, God had given them 600 and something things in the Old Testament. In fact, the bad thing is, here's what human nature is. They had taken the Ten Commandments and added commandments on their own that God didn't intend for them to live under just to help them keep those commandments. Why? Because we feel like we can kind of control it. I'm having a hard time here, so let's just clarify. What does it really mean to honor the Sabbath, where you can't walk more than a certain distance from your house? Then they made rules where as long as you, like, put your hat over there, you can call that your home away from home and then walk twice as far. You see how crazy we are as humans? Why do we want to live under the law? Paul says nobody's justified that way. You're not going to be pronounced right with God that way. So we got a problem. Here's the good news. We're justified by his grace. Let me read the next few verses, 21 through the first part of 25. Here's what Paul says. He says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There's that word all again. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified is a gift by his grace. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Now, there's some big theological words there, so let's unpack some of them. Let's don't run from them and say, I can't even pronounce propitiation. Let's understand what it means. Let's don't run from it. Let's find out what it means because it's good news. Paul, first of all, says, hey, listen, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. So, The law demonstrated how needy we were from God. And his righteousness is not found there. It's apart from that, separate from that. It's been manifested, which literally the word manifested means brought to light. What the law could not do, God's mercy and grace did. We could not be justified and pronounced righteous through the law. So God has brought it to light a different way. Here's what Jesus said to this same group of people that Paul's writing to, to the Jews. In John 5, if you want to jot this down, John 5, verses 39 through 40, 
Here's what Jesus said. He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. What's he saying? You search the scriptures, you memorize it, you read it, because you think just by doing that you have life. What you've missed is, and he's talking about the Old Testament, what you've missed every time you unroll the scroll is that it's describing a Savior that's coming. It's talking about me. And you think you have life in that. And so you miss life because you've rejected me. He said the righteousness of God, the light's been shed on it. And it's even been witnessed by the law and prophets. It doesn't mean the law and prophets saw it. It means the law and prophets testified about it. That's what the law, the law was a school teacher pointing us to a need of a Savior. That's what the prophets were talking about is there's coming a Savior. Because we're needy, all of us. In fact, that's what Jesus did. If you remember when Jesus had the conversation with the two men on the road to Emmaus, you remember what it said? It said that he started with Moses and the prophets. It must have been a long walk because he basically took them through the whole Old Testament in a nutshell, just, you know, kind of took the whole Old Testament, just kind of made a thread, and they finally realized that was Jesus we were with. The whole Old Testament, the prophets, have been a testimony about the coming Savior. Why? Because we need a Savior. The righteousness of God has been manifest through this faith in Jesus. So he's, he's just turned the tables. It's not that you become right with God by keeping the law. You come right with God by faith in Jesus. This is more than just acknowledging facts about him. You know, well, yeah, I believe Jesus lived. And I go to church every Sunday. I, I know Jesus. What does the Bible say? The demons believe in Jesus and tremble. Why? Because they've never trusted him as Lord and Savior. That's where faith comes in. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. That's what it is about faith. And even that is a gift. And it's to all who believe, and here's good news for us, for there's no distinction with God. Get this one. We live in a world where if you really boil down the teachings of a lot of religions, a lot of people want you to think that they're all worshiping the same God. Well, if that's true, we've got a problem with God because he's treating one group one way. He's telling one group, do these five things and hope for the best. And he's told believers, salvation's through Jesus Christ. You place your faith there, and it's not about you doing these five things. It's about you acknowledging you can't do those five things. Or those ten things, or whatever it is. We don't have a schizophrenic God. Paul's going to say in just a minute, he's one. He's not divided. He doesn't treat one group differently than another group. In him there is no distinction. And here's the best part. I mean, here's where it gets good. Verse 23. If you ever had to memorize the Romans road, here, here it goes. Here's the first one. All... Have sinned. He uses the word all a lot in this passage. And all means all. Nobody's excluded from that. And in case you're like me as a teenager, you know, maybe pre-teens, I'd kind of do the spiritual comparison games in church. And I knew I was a sinner. But I kind of thought some of the other people in there just looked like they had it all together. 
In fact, I've shared this before in here, and you think I'm joking. I'm not. I used to look at people, and the people that looked the most miserable, I thought must be the most spiritual. Look at them. They must know God. They look miserable. <laughs> and what does the Bible say? The fruit of the Spirit is not misery. It's joy. <laughs> Part of that nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So if you see somebody in church that looks miserable, it may be because they're lost as a goose. Or they had bad pizza the night before. I don't know. One or the other. But it's not saying they're more spiritual. All have sinned. What Paul's saying is the Jew and the Gentile. I realize this morning I'm speaking all Gentiles. So let me say it this way. The church member, the person raised in church, person feels like sometimes they're almost too good for church. <laughs> and the person who feels like they're not worthy to walk in church. All have sinned. What does the word sin mean? It's the Greek word harmartia or amartia. It means to miss the mark. I'm sure you've heard this described this way. The best illustration I have it is it it's go out today with a bow and arrow and set a target up 100 yards down, down the field. You pull the bow back. And not only do you not hit the bullseye, the arrow just keeps, doesn't even get there. You miss the whole target. That's what that word, send, means. It means you've missed the mark. What's the mark? The glory of God. The perfection of God. See, God created Adam and Eve in his nature. He intended for us to walk in that nature. Sin messed that up. And God has sent Jesus Christ to restore that relationship. But here's what man has done since the garden. They've tried everything they know to hit the mark. Tried everything they know to get to God. Tower of Babel. We'll build a tower. We want to get to God. Let's build a tower. I think we can do it. And they were doing a pretty good job until God said, let me just confuse your language. <laughs> what have you done? Don't answer this out loud. Thought-provoking question. What have you tried to get to God? You could do some good stuff. Maybe serving in church for you was your effort to reach God. Maybe joining the church. Maybe doing some spiritual things, some things that look good on paper. And maybe even some things we're commanded to do in Scripture. But hear me. If you do that apart from faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's an arrow falling short of the target. We do good stuff. We do good deeds, not so that God will love us and so that God will accept us. We do it because he does. As a believer, I've come to Christ in faith. And yes, Ephesians 2.10 says we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Yes, he's got something for me to do. But I do that because of my relationship with him. In fact, it's really the only way you can do it. Because you can't do it in your strength. It'll frustrate you to death. But you do it because of the relationship, and then His power that works within you accomplishes that. All have sinned. And all fall short. The word fall short literally means to be inferior, to be deficient, or to be last. All have sinned. All fall short. Paul speaking to a group of Jews that most of them, if you said, are you right with God? 
They would have said, well, absolutely. Why? Because I was born a Jew. Now, don't, don't dismiss the fact that the Jews were God's chosen people. Well, what's Paul saying? What had the prophets been saying through the Old Testament? That's a birthright, and that's good. In fact, Jesus even said, you know, you think you're something because you're children of Abraham? God can raise up children of Abraham out of nothing. What you really need is a relationship with me. So we had a problem that had to be dealt with. And here's the problem. We have an infinitely holy and righteous God who hates sin. But he created you and he loves you. Because he's infinitely holy and righteous, he can't look upon sin and say, nah, I'm, I'll forget it. He can't sweep it under the rug or hide it in the closet that nobody can open. He had to pay for it. Sin has a cost. And he says, we have been, we are being justified. It's a gift through his grace, it's redemption. Here's what Paul is saying. We're being justified. It literally means to be rendered or declared innocent. Heard somebody say, and this is easy to remember, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. It's better than that. Here's what it really means. Just as if I'd always done everything right. Because you haven't just been pronounced not guilty. You've been pronounced innocent. God's not saying, I'm going to let you into heaven because there wasn't enough evidence to convict you. No, God is saying, you deserve hell. You get into heaven based on the righteousness of Christ that has been appropriated and applied to your life. talk about that in a minute. But you've been justified. It's a gift. You know what? Gifts cost something. Try this. Go to Target today. And go to somebody that you know is getting married. And go over and find, you know, look up. They're registered at Target. And you pick out something you're going to give them, $49. And you go up to the cashier, and she rings it up and says, that'll be $49.99. And you said, oh, wait a minute, you didn't understand. This is a gift. I'm giving this as a gift. And you kind of wink at them and say, oh, it's a gift and no charge. No. In order for you to give a gift, what has to happen? You've got to pay for it. And then when you give it, if you say to them, hey, I got you this crock pot at Target, can you chip in like 50 bucks? Because you're trying to make some money off of it. Then it's not a gift. All right? It's not a gift if you don't own it and possess it and are able to give it. And it's not a gift if you charge them for it. I'll even say this. Have you ever had somebody hand you a gift and say, here, I got you a gift. And you're saying, oh, I didn't have anything. For, I don't have anything for you. Well, it's not a gift if there's a payment, right? We exchange gifts at Christmas time. And I get it. I understand. I'm not trying to throw a wet blanket on that. But quite often, if you're going to buy something for somebody just because you know they're going to give you something, we've kind of got out of the gift-giving mood here. We're just into, into paying people back. And if you ever feel guilty that somebody gives you a gift, you think, God, oh, man, I don't even want to give them what I gave them. I got them a $25 gift card, and they gave me a $100 gift card. <laughs> and then you say, well, I'll just tell them it's $100. They won't know it until they go try to use it. <laughs> and, I, and I can just blame it on the cashier running up wrong, you know. Here's what I want you to get. The gift that you've been given cost something. There was a problem. We're sinners. 
God hates sin. He's not going to wink at it. He's not going to sweep it under the carpet. Sin had to be paid for. We'll get to it in future weeks. But Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a gift, and then he uses the next word. It's grace. Grace means this. It is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's mercy. And that's good. Grace is beyond that. It's getting something you don't deserve. Mercy, we deserve death. And so by God saying, I'm not, you're not going to be ultimately separated from me in hell, that's mercy. Grace is you get eternal life. And it starts right now. And then he says this redemption is in Christ Jesus. The word redemption is a word for ransom or payment. It, it literally was used a couple of ways. One, if there was a, somebody that had been captured and they were being ransomed and you made the payment, you've redeemed them. Or if you went to a master and said, I want to pay you. How much does this slave still owe on his account? I want to free him. That's redemption. When I was studying this word this week, how many of you grew up with S&H green stamps? Younger ones in here, you're like, you don't know what I'm talking about. I, I think I got a picture of them. There they are. S&H green stamps. I grew up in Macon, Georgia. On Pinona Avenue in Macon, Georgia was an S&H green stamp redemption center. I thought, what a great name for a church. Redemption center. And what would you do? You would take these things out and stick them. And this was back before self-adhesive. So you're either licking them or finding a sponge or something, and you fill enough of those books up. And I remember we bought a basketball goal at the S&H Green Stamp Redemption Center. I don't know how many years my mom had to shop at the Pig the Wiggly or wherever it was she shopped at, because that was really about the only store close to our house back then, and, and to get enough of these green stamps just to you know, put in these books. But that was my job, putting the stamps in the books. Because I was looking forward to going and taking this payment and handing it in you know, this truckload of books and getting this basketball goal for our house. Redemption. Buying something back. Exchanging for a price. The redemption is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has displayed publicly. To place before our eyes. Here's the payment. Here's what has redeemed you. In fact... Here's where he uses the word propitiation. Propitiation means to satisfy or to appease. Here's what happened among the false gods. The false gods, and if you've noticed all these gods, whether it's Greek, Roman, or other types of gods, they all had human characteristics. They all could mess up. They weren't real good choices in gods. But man liked them because man kind of created them. He kind of made them like him. I kind of like this god. He's got some... Some of the same issues I'm dealing with. And so to appease the God, you would have to bring something like gold or silver or maybe an animal or something like that, and you would display it publicly. I'm, I'm appeasing the God. I'm bringing something with me to appease God. Well, here's our problem. We had nothing we could bring. So God provided it himself. He displayed publicly his son, Jesus Christ, precious Son of God, precious, sinless, spotless Lamb on the cross. That's our propitiation.
That's what satisfied. That's what appeased God. All through the Old Testament, they've been pointing to this. On the day of Yom Kippur, it means day of atonement. On that day, the priest would slaughter the lamb and take it in and drip the blood over the mercy seat. Propitiation. But it didn't remove sin. It just paid for it for a little while. When God did it through Jesus Christ on the cross, He paid for sin. For all sin. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. If you want to jot that down. It says this, Knowing that you were redeemed with perishable things, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Let me close just with this last section. How did he do it? The method. Finish up verse 25 through 31 and we're done. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law or what works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law? Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. What's Paul saying? Folks, This is stuff that if you had lived your entire life believing one thing and then read this, it absolutely turned everything on its head. Your whole belief system just got messed up. And good news at first didn't sound like good news. Why is it that people are saying, okay, so you're saying I don't have to keep the law, just place my faith in Jesus? I want to keep the law because I'm comfortable with it. But here's the means. He has demonstrated His righteousness in the forbearance of God, in the patience of God. God is so incredibly patient. One of the things that Peter talks about is that the last days, people are going to be saying, Jesus isn't coming back. If He was coming back, He'd have come back by now. Don't look at His patience as that He's kind of forgotten, but view it as part of His grace that He's not willing that any should perish. Now, I don't know if you've looked around today. I don't know if you were a little bit relieved to see some people you knew were Christians here this morning. Because I don't know if you know it, but yesterday at 6 o'clock, the rapture happened. And I don't know if that's why my back started hurting about that time or not. Maybe, you know, I was fighting it. And I'm not trying to make fun of the guy, but it's sad. I remember being a youth pastor in 1988 when somebody published a book, 88 Reasons for 88. And you started coming worried So I had to do like a series on, hey, Jesus said the angels in heaven don't know. I don't even know. So I think to set a date is at one point disobedient. (laughs) Because what did Jesus say? Rather than speculating over dates, why don't you get about doing what I told you to do? 
I told you, don't set a date. But how about taking the gospel to the nations? That's what we're supposed to be doing. And I know if you talk to teenagers this week, and if you ask the question, okay, what if Jesus did do? What if you knew he was returning at 6 o'clock on Saturday? What would you do differently? Well, whatever the answer to that is, how about doing it now? Because here's the truth. He is coming back. It wasn't yesterday at 6 o'clock. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be during your lifetime or it not, might not be. One way or the other, you're going to face God someday. And for some people, it was yesterday at 6 o'clock because that's when they breathed their last breath. Now, in 1988, the guy revised his book. I'm serious. He came out with another book, 89 Reasons for 89. I'm like, how long is this going to go on? Come on. <laughs> I don't know what this guy will do. I didn't account for leap year. Anyway, God has passed over the sins previously committed. God's been patient with us. God's not given us what we deserve yet. But he's made a way for us to be right with him. In fact, he did all of that so that the just could be the justifier. There is nobody on earth that could look at you and say, you're justified. Other than a God who lived a sinless life and died on the cross. Last story and I'm done. When I was a teenager, my youth pastor told us this area that we ought to go to because it was a great place to hike. And so we went. We thought, well, we're close to where he said, but apparently we weren't in the right spot. Because as we park our car and walk up, there was a fence and a gate. And there was a sign that said, authorized personnel only. So I looked at my two friends. They were Matt and Doug. And I said, I hereby authorize you. <laughs> I thought, all it says is authorized personnel only. We need to be authorized to go in there. I authorize you. And they authorized me. We went on there and spent a great day. Had a great day on this federal wildlife refuge. We came out at a different point that day and saw the car at the end of the road and there was another car behind our car. It was the police. <laughs> they were waiting on us. They knew we were in there because where we parked our car. They also knew that we were in there because they kept hearing this gun go off. We had this little twenty-two pistol. We were taking target practice. We didn't kill anything. We were just shooting stuff. We called it plinking, you know. You were just having the best time. And we came out, and of course, first thing, Matt, it's his gun. It wasn't my gun. It's his gun. He said, should I hide the gun? We're like, no, they're going to search our stuff. It's going to be worse if you hide it. So we just walked up, handed it right to him. I said, did y'all realize y'all were on the Federal Wildlife Refuge? And I didn't want to say, yeah, but we were authorized. <laughs> I didn't say that. What had we done? Man, we had broken the law with this idiotic notion that, well, nobody will know, and we're, you know, by the way, I've, I've authorized you. Well, listen, Jesus was able to justify us. Why? Because he was just. God would not have been just if he had said sin requires a payment and then excused the payment. That wouldn't be justice. Here's what God did. He paid the price. He allowed the justice to fall on him. And so not through the law are we made right with God. 
through Jesus Christ, we're made right with God. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, that is too awesome of a message to miss. So God, today, would you, would you make sure that we got it? Lord, if there's any doubt still in our mind, would you draw us back to this passage for further study? Because the good news really is good news. To hear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God sounds like that's bad news. But that's not where the story ends. The only way the story ends there is if we leave and do nothing. Because you've done everything necessary for us to be forgiven and literally pronounced innocent. So, God, I pray for folks in this room. There's only two groups of people. There's some that are innocent because you've pronounced them that way. There's others who are guilty, who need your innocence. God, I pray today for that first group that we'd spend some time right now thanking you that it is nothing we can boast about. We cannot vaunt ourselves or anything we've ever done. We will glory in Christ alone. And God, for the other group, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, and God, maybe they are so frustrated, they're sick and tired of being sick and tired because they've done their best. And they knew. They knew before today it was never good enough. You can't give enough. You can't do enough. Here's the good news. It's already been given and it's already been done. I pray that somebody today would turn their life towards you. And God, we got good news to tell other people. Help us to do that this week. In Christ's name, amen.